Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck. Alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved. Eric Marchin. Matt, why are you whispering? <laughs> Today we are reviewing John Krasinski's A Quiet Place Part 2. The real savior um, of cinema. Started, starting, starring Emily Blunt, Killian Murphy, Millicent Simmons, Noah Jupe, Jaiman Hansu, and previously mentioned john krasinski it is now streaming on amazon prime here in canada as well as paramount plus in the united states you can also purchase it digitally uh if you want or it's still playing in most cinemas especially here in ontario now that cinemas are open eric we opted and it'll for also the, actually be available on 4k physical in a couple weeks a couple right weeks, yeah yeah um we opted for the streaming experience even though uh you know as we're speaking, we could have went to the theater to see it. Um, we're weak, Matt. We're we're weak, and yeah, you know what? You know. That four we could have waited four days, but or five four days. Um, but uh, Nevis was going away this weekend. She's at a cottage, um, and I wanted to watch it with her because she she very much enjoyed the first movie with me. I remember going to Eglinton Cinemas to see it with her and being shocked at how. Uh, well-behaved the audience was during the movie because you know as the title says it is a quiet movie other than the score and the scares and 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 things like that um but you know a lot of the movie is you know american sign language it's a lot of you know whispering the the dialogue is very quiet hence my you know opening of this uh, of this podcast but we opted to watch it at home which i think was a completely fine experience like i don't i would have liked to watch it in, in a cinema but i i don't feel like i you know missed anything by watching it at i'll have home. some words on that I, I i disagree a little bit i think that even though i i didn't like the spoiler alert i didn't like the movie as much as you sure um yeah. i do think that there is something to be said about watching this in the theater especially Fair. because there I feel is like i would have liked it more even but i i think so as well and i think that there is more of a heightened tension of being focused mm. on the sound and the and sort of yeah. the sound design and the sound editing and sort especially of especially when most people at home don't have an intricate you know Dolby Atmos Dolby seven point one five point one or surrounds yeah and and you're more sort of attentive to what people are saying even when they're whispering where watching this I actually put on English subtitles um, because there's a couple times with Killian Murphy and Emily Blunt having conversations that I could barely hear them. Um, and I had my volume up at around like 2022 20, mm-hmm. and I still found it difficult to kind of get some of that exposition. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So I put on subtitles to hear them where I feel in the theater. I know a lot because, of people just do that anyway when watching stuff. Yeah, home. but I, feel, I don't like it. I, I'd rather not. I don't but. love it either. But for this, I felt like, okay, you know, it, it's a very minimalistic sort of sparse dialogue throughout and so you want to know what they're saying if you can't hear it exactly and so i found that (laughs) the best way to do that would to put on would be putting on the subtitles and and listening Mm -hmm. to them because again like sound mixing and sound editing in general is uh an art form that isn't really necessarily taken into consideration and should be more so than anything especially when you're mixing it with a score yeah. Where I feel like sometimes I know that was one of your pain points in the first movie, and that's too. also going to be a pain point in this one as well. Because the one of the things that drives me nuts about this movie is you have a film called A Quiet Place, and part of the visceral experience of watching 
this movie and you know the first film is having no score no soundtrack the soundtrack should be the environment it should be what's left and i think that actually adds sort of an eerie quality to it um there are moments where that is used but the score again drowns things out and manipulates you and forces you to feel what the characters are feeling where like they're okay so the story is basically picking up exactly where the last one left off almost a couple seconds minus a flashback which is sort of the i like the opening a lot i do too i think the prequel itself day one sort of how these creatures came to earth um is the strongest sort of directed sequence uh, of the film and sort of like yeah. the idea of, of how john krasinski is able to sort of create really suspenseful um sort of set pieces and also just it was kind of fun seeing that it takes place in you know uh upstate new york again very similar to uh werewolves within and the second person you see after john krasinski is wayne duvall who is yeah. in werewolves yeah, within, yeah. which i also That's thought was exactly kind of right yeah i forgot yeah right um, when he shows up at the store i'm like i've seen this motherfucker recently yeah but that's also to set up um you know how this situation came about but also kind of giving you some context to killian murphy's uh emmett character who will play sort of uh not a father figure role but sort of the the male quote-unquote lead Mm. uh in in sort of taking over john krasinski's sort of absence so the abbott family you know the survivors of what happened kind of move on and sort of go off the sand path and try to basically find out who's been lighting this other flame for so long. And, you know, they find Killian Murphy, who's a family friend and, you know, part of living in like a bunker, which is like a, not a safe, but a vault or. Yeah. But but it's almost like, um, like a, like an industrial furnace. And the idea is that, um, you can only be in there for so long with the air, the supply. oxygen, yeah, is is sucked out, and especially with more than one person. And so there's this this idea of timing that plays a, a crucial role as well in the film. Um, but also the other thing about this movie is that you have a lot of the characters um, being spread out throughout the mm-hmm. majority of this movie, and there's a lot of it's cross- Last of Us vibes are more obvious in this. Yeah. even than and there's the first a lot one. of cross cutting between sort of which I like suspension. I think it works sometimes. I mean, th- this is very common in, in any oh, yeah, action movie or three pains of action yeah. kind of thing. Star going Wars to the is the perfect example yeah. of that, where like you know you have <laughs> Luke on Endor and the final like Luke any on Endor good going action to- movie usually has the group groups that they kind of cross cut through yeah and And that's what this movie is doing a lot of um and and sometimes i think it's successful and sometimes i think like it's it's making a point that you know certain actions mirror others that are similar but i also think that at times it can be a little bit goofy um you you have the idea that these characters these survivors are dealing not only with the monsters um the alien monsters but humanity devolving into monsters themselves and the idea that humanity has completely gone extinct uh with for the uh, the invasion that has that has come about we get a a cameo by scoop mcnary uh later on (laughs) that kind of plays into that um but overall i thought this was fine i thought this was more filler than it was killer um it it feels like this is a movie that is really just 
a, a, a bridge to the next sequel in a lot of ways. Like I was watching this and thinking, okay, like, are you talking the Jeff Nichols movie or probably part three of a quiet place? No, I felt quiet place two was a bridge to the next sequel. I mean. Yeah. But do you mean a bridge to the Jeff Nichols movie? Yes. Or, or the, the yeah, next, yeah. The, the next yeah. quiet place film, whether it be the spinoff that Jeff Nichols is directing or the next sort of like mainstay sequel. It just kind of felt like this was, yeah. More of the same. And partly I don't it is disagree that. with you. And I don't disagree with you really with anything that you're saying. I just think I, you know, took it for what it is, I guess, and really kind of enjoyed an extension of the first movie. Like it reminds me, and this probably will sound like a negative or me, uh, but it feels like Quantum of Solace to me, where it literally picks up at the, you know, the end of the very end and feels like, you know, an epilogue to that first movie rather than, you know, a, a movie in itself. And, and because you're titling it part one and part two, um, you could probably edit both of these films together to make something kind of interesting just from like a editing standpoint of, you know, maybe not three hours. Cause each movie is a, a, a brief hour, 20 hour 30. Um, but you could make something there, but I think that's why I ultimately just, really enjoyed it is that it doesn't overstay its welcome. It is more of the same, but I liked the focus on those different groups and kind of the extension of, you know, their father figure, you know, sacrifices himself because of this love for his children and his wife and this new child that they have coming. And he's like, you guys can do this. And this movie is very much about those two kids almost proving to their, you know, their mother and their dead dad now that they can do this and they can protect their mom and protect this new child. And, 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 and I just liked that extension of those themes of the first movie and that everyone is in their, you know, I like breaking up those two kids and going, they each have to kind of do their thing and survive or, or feel like they need to live up to their, their father who was able to kind of protect them for so long. Or at least a year, because this is day four hundred and something. Right? Yeah, like four ninety four um, or something. Like that. Yeah, and I just liked that, and and I the movie is very much. I, I mean, I brought up a lot of these parallels. I think when we reviewed the first movie, which I don't know if we did on this podcast or not. Um, I don't know how time works anymore <laughs> when we started reviewing things, or if it was just uh, in general. But like, um, you know, I brought up Jurassic Park and you know Steven Spielberg stuff, and you know, you know, different sci fi alien movies and, well, and even stuff signs, like that. that right. Signs all of that stuff like it, it's boring and i think krasinski is very confident even though he is bor- borrowing from a lot of that stuff um, and i mean he's making he's i mean that's the one thing he he's talked about very candidly about oh, what sorry. this movie <laughs> <laughs> what this movie means to him is that it's a film metaphorically about showing actually showing love for his children and that he wants his yeah. children to know that they are actually loved and that you know there's something that you know having a stoic father or some a family member who doesn't feel that you know that that person cares for them and that's kind of yeah. ultimately what it boils down to he's not even a horror fan like having interviewed him for the first film and right. talking to him the the Bex and Wood sk- script from the first movie you know like you can tell like they're more interested in sort of like the the classic sort of Amblin tropes that you're mentioning with the Spielberg stuff and also like you know the horror movie sort of um setting that they're kind of that right. they're bringing up but but again it's very high concept and like the other problem is that a lot of people had i think like it's it's a movie that you know you have a great experience i think watching it in the theater but it's also very easy to poke holes through sort some of oh, the plot absolutely. the more i watch the first film the more i kind of go okay i get what people were saying and i get yeah. why 
the glaring kind of suspension of disbelief in certain uh, situations or just kind of the leaps in logic or just kind of the, the plot holes kind of stand out the more you think about them and the more you watch the film. And that's in the moment they work this. because yes, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're experiencing the terror that these characters are going through and sort of and like that carries into this movie. Too, yeah. And, and bit. what would be like, if, if this wasn't the situation would be a mundane event, like stepping on a nail, isn't a big deal. It, it hurts. It's horrible, but it's not going to necessarily be life threatening unless you don't get a tetanus shot afterwards or unless you're, you know, Harry oh, and her Marv. Her foot would be hella infected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or unless you're Harry and Marvin home alone, where then sure, that yeah. does become a problem. But because of the situation that's presented, it only heightens it. And, and in that moment you're like, Oh no, like this is, this is going to have serious repercussions. Like what is this character going to do? And they mm-hmm. do that again here with a bear trap in the, in the first sequence. Um, but it does feel to me like with this movie as well, there are certain things where like, I think, Maleficent Simmons is very good in both of these movies. I I I like her performance. I don't think anybody's bad. I think Killian Murphy, even though the performance is good, he doesn't necessarily look like a Midwesterner to me, even with the yeah. beard. Like he just yeah. his his look is so sort of like harsh and European that it just like yeah, even yeah. with the baseball cap when you see him in the first scene and him kind of talking in the like low he doesn't voice. look middle America yeah, no yeah, no he yeah, he yeah. yeah he I mean, he not, looks that, as, not he, that New York is middle America yeah but he you looks know as I mean. alien as the aliens in, <laughs> in in the film in terms of like just not maybe a little bit miscast even though oh, he's a good actor and yeah I, and he's I fine did. in this in terms yeah. of performance wise like you like he doesn't like give a bad performance and it's the same thing with Marco, Marco Beltrami's score Marco Beltrami's score isn't bad it's it's a good score I just don't think it's needed for what this movie yeah. is doing like i think john krasinski is very confident in his direction but he's not as confident in you know allowing letting this the, yeah the the, the the scene to play out naturalistically yeah. and letting the score and the soundscape be the environment itself which when the movie does do that both in the first one and in this one i think it is very tense and it is um and i think the action sequences and the and the tension is there in this movie but i agree with you that it does rely on the on the score a bit but i i feel like at when the times where it doesn't and it just is quiet which the first movie had a lot of that where this has some of it um the movie is at its strongest and uh but yeah i i mean i totally understand what you're saying and i feel like this did feel a little bit unnecessary like i don't think i needed this but while watching it i enjoyed myself so even though i'm going to give it a pretty high review it's just one of those things where i'm like do i think it needed to exist no that first movie is still really special to me even with those plot holes and things because i feel like that first watch of that movie um was such a pleasant surprise because i don't know when you hear about you know john krasinski directing a a horror thriller um the trailers looked cool but you go in kind of blind and um and it just kind of you like you said you just get engulfed with it and you kind of just you're along for the ride and and both movies are such a tight runtime which i appreciate that I can kind of be more forgiving on those things that you're talking about because I just, you're in, you're out. It's intense at times. It's exciting at times. Don't think too hard about it. I like, and also I think while I'm being probably a little bit softer, I just love, you know, Eric, I've said this time and time again, I love post-apocalyptic settings. I love, you know, alien invasion you movies. You love the dystopian um, lifestyle. I, no, I just, I, I really do love that setting. And then you put anything in that setting and just make it like, 
entertaining and i think i buy into it and then i see the little things like again even nevis brought up the last of us comparison and people are probably like jesus christ matt shut up until the last of us tv show well even the monsters Um, again like i don't know much about it but from everything that you've shown me or i've seen online like that's another thing that i think could be developed a little bit more i i I, I like that this film is a brisk, easy running time. It's lean. It's mean. I like that, you know, there's not a lot of exposition, but I almost weirdly wanted to know a little bit more about the monsters. Nevis had the same problem. And sort of like yeah. just not like over explaining everything, but just like giving us like, what do they really want? Do like, you think what? you're going to get that in the Jeff Nichols movie? I think that's I don't what know. That movie... I, I think the Jeff Nichols movie, like I'm thinking I'm so Jeff Nichols is a much better be. film. And, and I hate saying this because like it's John Krasinski, you know, is the reason why this thing exists and why it's, it, you know, the first movie in the second film to a certain degree are as good as they are. I mean, you can't discredit him, but Krasinski is not as good of a filmmaker as Jeff Nichols is. And I feel Jeff Nichols is even more of a minimalistic filmmaker than Krasinski is one of those guys that you know is confident in his direction of set pieces and letting the actors have their moments but Jeff Nichols will be the guy that I think will make the weird outlier film That's what I that mean. people yeah. will hate that fans yeah. of the other <laughs> two movies place, will hate yeah. because it will literally be literally be a quiet place where like yeah. it'll almost be like the pacing of it a will probably be study. slower <laughs> like, and, yeah. and Michael Shannon will just be there and, yeah and it'll yeah. it'll literally cut out any score it will almost be kind of like an art house very film. light on action probably yeah. um and like that to me, I think is more fascinating. Oh, um, I'm so curious about it because I'm I'm really excited for it. Because again, I do like the world that he's built, even though it is, you know, again, I think it's thin. From- I think it's really thin. And I think like we've talked about this before, but I think A Quiet Place is very similar to The Terminator, where The Terminator, that first movie was this calling card film for both director James Cameron and producer Gail Ann Hurd. It was basically mimicking the slasher movies, the popularity of the slasher films at the the time, but with the bent of it being sort of a sci-fi time traveling thing as well. It was popular. It became more popular than they thought it would be. It got them in to be, you know, producers on and direct aliens. And then, you know, years and years go by because the first Terminator is, is, you know, the early to mid eighties. This, the second Terminator movie is, is the early nineties. Four, right? 91, 91. Oh, it was that early. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, it celebrated its 30th anniversary this year. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And so with, with A Quiet Place 2, it didn't hasn't taken that much time, but it feels similar in that there's not a lot of mythology. It's just very high concept. And I now agree, they're yeah. building in mythology that doesn't necessarily feel like it's completely earned or like there's that much kind of interest in the world building other than just it kind of being it's a post-apocalyptic world where yeah and i just feel it's very paper thin maybe maybe that's i yeah you're making good points and i think it's just i get uh i'm just like you know i like i like that so well there's um, something wrong with that i like that too a lot i just don't think that it like if we get to a quiet place there is you know salvation right Or 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 like they literally call it the subtitle will be you know the 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 tagline i think from the first film where it's like a quiet place know silence is survival and and we're in the fourth or fifth film and they're basically trying to reboot it at that point that's why i am also curious about jeff nichols because jeff nichols is an art house filmmaker with having directed films like take shelter and loving and things like that and and midnight special i guess would be kind of the closest thing to 
this because it is a genre movie as well. But you look at that film and you're kind of like, okay, this deconstructs genre in a very specific yeah. way. And he's been wanting to do another sci-fi movie. He was going to remake Alienation when it was still at Fox and, you know, after the merger kind of fell through. But um, I'm, I'm very curious to see what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. And um, again, I didn't enjoy this as much as the first movie, even though I, I basically gave them the same rating. Um, I still think that first one, the more I watch it, I see those plot holes that people are talking about, but I still just kind of take it for what it is and just really enjoy it as a tight, you know, thriller. And I, I think this kind of succeeds at being an extension of that. And I don't think that Maybe it's all that different than the first film. Um, if, if anything, it's slightly worse. But I liked those. The first act and the last act, I really, really enjoyed. Uh, the first act just being seeing that initial moment when these things come to Earth and this family that we saw in this first movie dealing with surviving just those first moments. And I like that small town America baseball game kind of thing of him going to get the orange slices and just kind of the the long dirty kind of one takes yeah and like i i liked all that and then um seeing that it it, that's probably the most tense scene in the movie and just seeing you know krasinski's a charismatic guy too it's it's so interesting seeing him evolve from seeing him on the office to now being a director like john cena not in terms uh, john krasinski's a better actor but he almost does feel a little bit on uh sometimes i don't notice it as much um uh as you know cena or even like a chris pratt that we've talked about um in that way um i i get what you're saying again but i don't know i just bought i bought into him in these two movies and i like oh, i think he's opening. fine in these films but like um, i'm just talking in general krasinski's yeah. one of those guys that kind of always seems like you know he's like a, a spokesperson for something totally yeah sure fair uh, and then I like that last act, which is you have the kind of uh, – and I was worried at one moment if they weren't going to give Emily Blunt anything to do in this movie. They don't give her a um, lot. She's not they in don't it that give, much either. No, which is maybe – again, they focus really on the kids, which I think is a, is a good call. But also – and maybe it was like you know Emily Blunt coming back. It's her husband directing it. Like she was a star of the first movie. It's kind of an him. obligation. Um, yeah. And I mean maybe she did get like, a SAG nomination for this as well. And like a lot of people thought she – like she's never been nominated for an oscar uh, as of yet mm-hmm. and like a lot of people thought oh like that because she's really good in that first movie and she's good here too it's just that she she's not she's, in it as much as you would expect no they do her give be. her one like when we talk about the three pains of action the two kids have their own thing to do you know um uh millicent simmons uh character goes off with you know killian murphy and then that's the last of us comparisons like they look like joel and ellie walking through like and then they come that that gave me huge last of us vibes again um and then you have uh noah jupe's character taking care of the young baby and in the uh i mean the one thing also in both of these movies that just is something that is a pet peeve of mine and i I know it happens in tons of movies is the you see the overwriting in the script of having to you know dumb it down for your audience and and, and it, it comes across in the filmmaking as well where you know when he had to in the first movie pan down to the nail instead of just kind of leaving it there and letting people go okay you saw that she kind of made the nail come up like you have to really hammer uh down <laughs> they did like that and in both movies you know krasinski and that is a more kind of traditional like kind of you know blockbustery kind of movie tropey kind of thing where we need to really 
do a slow zoom into the thing or really hammer down the towel in this movie or the other things that's always going to come up in the third act as being something that, you know, but sometimes that about, does like, work. Like I get what you're sure, saying and I do I'm agree with you, but like, that's like a classic kind of like, you know, genre thing it where, is, where like even Hitchcock like used that it. a lot where it's like, and you know, yes. it's in that bag. There's a bomb yeah. and you're waiting for the moment. And I know. And that's what I think he's imitating in both of these movies is something like that. I just don't think it works as well in something like this. Like well, I, again, cause it's more minimalist, right? Like, and yeah. it's almost trying to be stripped down of, of, of any and of I, the kind of classic, like and I'll always lean to, yeah. And I'll always lean into the trust your audience, let them, like treat them with respect and think that your audience isn't as intelligent as you are writing the movie or making the movie where you don't need that kind of stuff where it's more satisfying to me than me. (laughs) Yeah. When I know I, I I'm not optimistic. I understand why you do it because people, if you don't do it, then you're going to have the other big, large group of people going, the fuck where that nail come from or where'd this come from because they're not paying as close attention or you really need to tons of movies do it it's not just these two movies but like this movie really does that thing where and i think you probably heard me talk about it in other movies where i just it's one of the things that i hate where i'm like i'm smart enough and i hope others are to understand what you're setting up for the third act that i don't need you to go guys make a note of this make a mental note make a mental note it's coming back make a note and like i think that's well that's Chekhov's gun right like that's yeah. like that's the classic thing of like I know. a gun that's like you you see a loaded gun in the first uh act of a plot and it's like it you know later 90 percent of movies yeah, yeah you, and know. you know later on okay it's going to come back into play and it's going to be fired or something there's a subtle way of doing that right that i think is more satisfying to me personally I agree, no i agree and, with you 100 um, but it's just it's very traditional of narrative storytelling oh, in absolutely general. or and even that's plays I, right so i don't want it to be traditional though and it's more interesting when you kind of take a more subtle approach to that kind of stuff and i know you agree with me it's just like those yeah. in these two movies it really stands out to me and there are a countless movies that have you know literally like i said 90 percent of movies do this exact thing but i think there are better ways to do it um than in both this film and the last one where you're just like you it dumbs it down and i just was like and i get that this is you know popcorn entertainment it's not and that's what i mean i'm curious with the jeff nichols movie which i do not think will be popcorn entertainment um i tell that's you man, this is the one that, that's the this, one that people are gonna hate oh, it's gonna absolutely. be the it's gonna be the halloween three of that franchise it absolutely will be and i'm i'm really kind of pumped to see it um for that reason and yeah shout out to scoot mcnary who always just randomly shows up in things and you're just like oh good for you you're in one scene (laughs) i mean even though yeah it's one scene you know who he is like if you know who he is like in terms of like and it's also just funny because like i don't know if it was intentional or if john krasinski was thinking this other than just like maybe like okay i he's a good character actor and what have you but it is almost like a weird reference to kind of his breakthrough role in uh monsters where which yeah. is also a post-apocalyptic film where monsters are roaming the planet and him and you know he plays this kind of tour guide to this reporter and they're kind of traipsing through south america uh yeah. so it almost kind of is weirdly like oh maybe there maybe there was intention in casting him for that but i also want to quickly mention with john jaman hansu who i also yeah. really like and was a last minute replacement for brian tyree henry 
Lowry who is going to be in that role. It's a small role, but I think they do him a little bit dirty with how the character's story yeah. arc kind of plays out. And it almost becomes weirdly comical in a bad way because they, you have this subplot with, you, you mentioned Killian Murphy and uh, Maleficent Simmons, where, you know, their storyline, you know, they're being drawn to this, you know, almost Lost-esque island. Um, the Others Camp, it looked like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And through, through the song Beyond the Scene, the Bobby Darren song. Um, and so with that, you're kind of thinking like, oh, this is um, – you know, like this is going one way and then when it does and, and it plays out, it just kind of feels like that character, you know, again, you have such a really good actor in that role. Um, it just kind of felt like the, it portrayed the character a little bit. So, yeah. And I, I know that uh, something that, you know, Nevis and I were talking about after the movie too, of being like the, the people of color in the movie um, kind of being that, you know, weirdly the sacrificial kind of it, it kind of yeah, feels the icky, at the beginning right? as yeah. well right and, and so when you have you know the only kind of two black characters in the movie um their fates not to, sorry to spoil it to everyone but it is a i think a criticism uh, like a an important criticism uh, of the uh, movie yeah, yeah. um that you know those are the two you know sacrificial people in the movie that kind of get often in, in violent you know, like you said, almost sometimes even comical ways that you just feel kind of like, oh, okay, come on. <laughs> yeah. Like it yeah. almost feels like it's, it's, it's just for the sake of a kill count, but then it also adds this sort of weird layer of sort of a social commentary of like, okay, well, you know, the, the people of color are the sacrificial lambs and it's just like, yeah. I mean, horrible things happen to the main cast as well, but you know, for the most part, you know, that, you know, they're going to be okay. Um, or at least sort of be able to make it to the next scene. And it just weirdly is like, okay, this, this is kind of following certain tropes of the horror genre that, yeah. you know, is, are not super great. And yeah. I mean, like, I feel like you need to be more aware of that stuff as a, you know, as a director and in your casting and, and everything that like, you, you know, you, the only a couple black people you have in the movie, you, you kill off and, and like, yeah, I just, that was one thing that like, again, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, but, um, I thought of it and then I went, uh, I saw on Twitter people talking about that same thing. And um, I just think it's an important. And again, like the character out. feels like he completely changes his personality at that. And it's one moment where like, he's a guy that, you know, has gone through a lot and, and, you know, has a really, you know, wonderful monologue that's delivered about sort of, you know, how he got there and, and sort of the trauma that he's experienced and sort of, you know, the relationship that he has with his son. And, and one moment he kind of feels you know, confident enough that the son knows what he's doing. But then all of a sudden it's like this weird parody of like, Oh, I forgot to pay my taxes. And then he gets yeah. killed. Like, it's like, like that kind yeah. of like, it, not that he says, I forgot to pay my taxes, but like his sort of shift in personality after getting to this one place that they need to get to is like, that's the purpose that that character serves and nothing yeah. else. So let's just, you know, kill him off. Yeah. 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 Um, but Again, like I mentioned, overall, I felt like it was a is an entertaining extension of the first movie. Um, I know it has its problems, much like the first movie, but um, I, I liked the two kids going off and having to prove themselves. 
or not even going off, but you know, the two pains of action and then Emily Blunt having to go and do her little mini mission um, and cross cutting between them. I, I just thought worked and, and the tension is still there. And um, I like the world, even if like Eric mentions, it's, it's pretty thin. It's just a pretty standard post-apocalyptic, you know, aliens came and killed everyone world, but I just like that setting. So when you put an entertainment uh, an entertaining movie in that setting that, you know, deals with some of the, you know, themes of the first movie. And just, I like the idea of that they can only hear. So you have to be quiet and, and the different ways that they uh, kind of go about that, whether it's where people are hiding or, you know, the bear trap, which is similar to the nail in the first one and, and things like that. Like, I just kind of like the vibe of both movies and, and felt like, you know, they don't overstay their welcome. And I think they're thoroughly enjoyable uh, thrillers. So I'm going to give it a four out of five, uh, which is the same ranking. I, I actually, I go between four and a half and a four with the first movie because I think I started really loving that first movie, hearing the problems with it, seeing the problems with it going down to a four, but I'm like, fuck it. I really like the first movie and I really like this one. So I'm going to give it a four. I really liked it. I'm going to give it a three out of five. I still liked it. Um, didn't like it as much as the first one. And I yeah. think like the first one, I had similar problems. The other quick thing I wanted to quick mention, yeah. I do like the look of this movie as well. And yep. I like the look of the first one, but they're two different cinematographers. So you have um, Danish cinematographer, Charlotte uh, Bruce Christensen, who uh, also uh, shot Thomas Vinterberg's The Hunt with Mads Mikkelsen. This time around, you have Polly Walker shooting the movie. Um, and there is Polly a- Polly Morgan. Polly Morgan, pardon me, Polly Morgan. Um, and and there, th- there's a consistency in, in the look that I think y- that you need to have because especially when the film is taking place so soon after the first movie, it yeah. works. Um, but uh, I, I think that both movies, they do look genuinely good. Uh, the other quick thing I will mention, the aliens themselves, I think the design is fine, but it also weirdly reminds me of that one alien in the uh, Attack of the Clones sort of arena sequence, that kind of big scaly creature yeah. with like the green like sort of dome. That's Also for me, the Demigorgon from Stranger Things yeah. a little bit. And, um, you know, I-, I like the creature design. They are- Oh, I don't mind the creatures. It's almost like yeah. I, I kind of liked- maybe- And maybe this is another thing as well, which is on Amazon Prime. Maybe my, my love of, like, I would have been better War? to this with the Tomorrow <laughs> War being kind of like the film that fulfilled that itch of that kind of movie this year. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. And I'll go back to saying, like, as much as I enjoyed this, I don't think- one, it's necessary, or two, that you like need to see it. <laughs> like, right. I feel like that first movie was just, you know, it was a tight, fun, you know, thriller. And I don't know if we needed more movies in this universe. And we're getting a Tomorrow I, War uh, 2 sequel, so, which and, is and probably going to be like, a similar. Yeah, sort of situation. reaction where it's like, it's fine, but did we need a sequel to a movie that was a pleasant surprise? And sometimes it's okay to just like let things be, you know, like, yeah. like let the first one, you know, you ended it at a fun moment. I don't, do you need to expand on things? Um, probably not, but I am very intrigued by the Jeff Nichols movie. I keep thinking about it. Cause I, it's such an interesting, like it's a, it's, I guess a story pitch from John Krasinski and then Nichols came in to write the script and direct it. Um, and he also and has just, another thing at Paramount as well that he, another sci-fi movie. So it's almost like Jeff Nichols is doing almost like a David Gordon green thing because 
Jeff Nichols, David Gordon Green, and Jody Hill are all part of like the Virginia Tech crowd or, or, or group that kind of grew up together and went to school together. And with David Gordon Green, you know, David Gordon Green comes from an indie background as well. And then, you know, as soon as he makes Pineapple Express, he makes a couple of sort of, uh, you know, more studio-based comedies and then kind of now has gone into his weird horror movie phase with uh, the Halloween films and potentially um, Hellraiser and also having wanted to make Suspiria, which didn't come to fruition. And now Jeff Nichols, you know, Jeff Nichols also has this indie background, you know, having worked consistently with Mike, Michael Shannon throughout his entire career and makes, you know, one sort of, uh, you know, sci-fi movie with, with midnight special and then goes back to indie movies again, but wanted to make another sci-fi movie. And now will probably most likely, you know, has been on a hiatus for a little bit. will be making two sci-fi films back to back almost. Right. And, and one being in an established universe, which that's why it's just it's so interesting. Well, again, an alien nation was already established in both, you yeah. know, the James Caan, Mandy Patinkin movie and the series. So mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like he wants to kind of like maybe branch out a little bit and go into something that's already been established and maybe whatever idea he has, like I could see it being very like the definition of quote unquote rustic, you know, like, like I I'm, I'm very curious to see like what cinematographer he brings in as he going to work with a lot of the same crew that he normally does on all of his films you you got to think michael shannon's in it yeah he's got to <laughs> like, be the alien he's got to be yeah. like the queen alien or something <laughs> <laughs> he voices the alien uh good stuff uh all right everyone thank you for listening uh if you liked this we have many other reviews that you guys can check out right now we had six new reviews this weekend so you can go check out our reviews for Fear Street Part 3, 1666, uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy, uh, Pig, F9, uh, Escape Room Tournament of Champions. So there are tons and tons of new reviews that we all literally posted in the last couple days. Uh, so go check those out, as well as other reviews for you know the other two Fear Street movies, Monsters at Work, the aforementioned Tomorrow War, uh, the Forever Purge. So there's tons of stuff over on this channel that a lot of wars and a lot of purging you know uh go subscribe to our other two podcasts untitled movie podcast and untitled movie conversations uh we should have new episodes of both of those uh coming up for you uh in the future very very soon uh drop us a uh, review uh on apple Podcasts if you would be so kind or any podcast service i think apple podcast is the only one that has like blatant reviews um tell us we're great (laughs) Uh, untitled podcasts on letterbox is our HQ. You guys can go head over there. We do, uh, if you want to look for all of our links to the individual reviews, as well as our ratings, our lists for different movies, uh, franchises, our links to our socials, as well as our links to our personal profiles, where you can see what Eric and I have been watching that we're not reviewing, which we usually talk about on untitled movie podcast. Um, as always, my name is Matt Rorbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rorbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Shh. Silence is golden. Remember that? <laughs>